Welcome to the podcast ministry of Grace Anglican Church in Grove City, Pennsylvania. It is our hope to proclaim the historic faith and the dazzling grace of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. But the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Please be seated. Several years ago, when I was in the middle of my seminary journey at Trinity School for Ministry, I found myself trying to stay afloat amidst all the papers and the late-night assignments and the Greek translations. My daughters, Margaret and June, were not sleeping that well at the time. Sleeping was unpredictable and uncertain. Mandy and I were up all hours of the night, perhaps something that you are familiar with. We were both working part-time jobs around the clock, and we found ourselves hitting the wall. As the demands of my schedule grew, my health started to decline. I was not eating well, sleeping well, or exercising much at all. And that's when an army chaplain mentor of mine encouraged me to run an ultra marathon. He knew that I needed something out of the ordinary, a big goal to push me out of the rut that I was in. A reasonable uh, solution perhaps would have been a membership at the YCM, eh, and a daily planner. But he knew that I needed something to kind of shock my system, to push me, to challenge me, to expand my limits. It was a great season of running and and exercising and eating healthy. But I'll never forget the race day. Specifically one moment when I was running up a steep hill, finishing what was for me the second out of three 10-mile loops. I was nearly out of breath, alternating between hiking and running up this hill, when behind me comes flying this middle-aged man 
uh, lapping me. This was his last lap of this 31-mile race. So not only did, was he a whole lap ahead of me, but he was 10 miles ahead of me. That was, uh, that was a lesson in humility. But after the race, I learned that he was a professional runner. He actually won a race this past year in October in which runners completed 4.1-mile loops at the start of every hour. They did this until there was only one man or woman left. So just to recap, he ran at the start of every hour about four miles. He won this race by running for 108 hours straight, five days of running, for a total of 450 miles. Now, I was happy to read this article because it made me feel better about being lapped by this guy. It was a shocking display of human endurance. And I think it speaks to what we're capable of enduring. Lack of sleep, physical pain, dehydration, mental fatigue in order to achieve a goal. But at the end of the day, so many of us here, we're striving for a similar type of endurance in our lives in our marriages, in our friendships, in our work, at school, to continue to push forward in the trenches. One scientist defines endurance as the struggle to continue against a mountain desire to stop. We know that often the most meaningful things in life require us to fight the hardest, to suffer the most in order to enjoy the most meaningful and deep things. But today, rather than encourage you to run an ultra marathon, which if you want to do, let me know. Uh, a few of us in the congregation are uh, getting a group together. Um, but instead of that, I'd like to spend time this evening looking at 1 Samuel chapter 3. And I want to look at the endurance of God's word and its supremacy in our lives. 1 Samuel the genre of the book is typically categorized as a hero story because the book traces the heroic story of Samuel the prophet and Saul and David the kings of Israel. But instead of focusing on the specific call that we read in this passage, I want to direct our attention again to the supremacy and endurance of God's word. So first, looking at the supremacy of God's word. Our passage begins in verse 1 by stating that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. The book of 1 Samuel picks off where we left off in the book of Judges, when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Israel's political and spiritual life had descended into chaos, and now the Lord is moving to raise up new leaders. In verse 2, we read, at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to go dim so that he could not see. The text is clearly referring to Eli's declining eyesight, but it also captures the spiritual darkness of Israel and its leadership. Under the leadership of Eli, his sons were making a mockery of worship. They disregarded the law of the Lord. They were sleeping around with women. They ignored their father's warnings to reform their ways. And worse yet, they did not know the Lord that they were seeking to serve. 
They were manipulating their religious authority for personal gain. Eli's sons characterized Israel during the time of the judges. Israel, time after time, neglected their covenant and turned to false gods. In our passage today, God calls Samuel to step forth to speak the word of the Lord into such evil. God calls Samuel three times until he realizes that it is the Lord himself calling him and not Eli. We read in verse 7 that Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. It's not until verse 10 when the Lord calls out twice, Samuel, Samuel, that Samuel responds in faith. Speak, your servant hears. This twofold name calling is a clear echo of former Old Testament prophets. Abraham, Abraham, Jacob, Jacob, Moses, Moses. Samuel is falling in line with the former prophets of God. And the first prophetic word that Samuel receives is a harsh indictment of his father figure, Eli, and of his entire household. We read in verses 13 through 14, I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Eli's sons rejected God and his covenant. They preyed on God's people and now they are being held to account. But we all know that it's one thing to hear the word but now Samuel must speak the word. And this is a difficult task. Eli raised Samuel from an early age. We see this father-son intimacy when Eli beckons him to tell him what the Lord told him. He says, Samuel, my son. But the word of the Lord for Samuel is nothing less than the judgment of the Lord against Eli and the destruction of his family. And just as Samuel is willing to receive the word of the Lord, here I am, for you called me, he is also willing to tell Eli the truth. We read that he says, Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Now we here tonight are not Old Testament prophets called by God to pronounce judgment on our neighbors. But we are specifically called as members of Christ's church and as disciples of of Christ to proclaim the good news of the forgiveness of our sins, to make disciples and to obey God's word. And doing that today can be quite challenging. We will encounter op opposition. We'll be misunderstood for holding to the view of scripture. Our values and priorities will be often at odds with our neighbors. And we ourselves will find ourselves wrestling with God's word as we seek to hold it up as the word of life. But my prayer is that we may continue to grow in how we listen to the Lord, to be receptive of God's word, and to say with Samuel, speak for your servant hears. And may we also say with Samuel in faith, it is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. For we see in our text this evening that the word of God stands above the unbelief of Israel. God's word does what it sets out to do. We hear the word of the Lord in Isaiah 
so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. It shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. One of my favorite Martin Luther quotes, there's a lot of them, but one of my favorites speaks to such power of God's word. In a sermon he was preaching, he said this. He said, I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank beer with my friends, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. So there you have it. My new two-point sermon. Preach the word and drink beer. Now I'm in danger of not being invited back to lead worship again. But here we come to the crux of the matter, the supremacy of God's word. God's word will set out to do what God decides for it to do. God shines his light into the spiritual darkness of Israel's apostasy and Eli's blindness and raises up a prophet to proclaim his mighty word. Now, moving towards closing this evening, I want to reflect on the endurance of God's word. In verse 19, we read, The Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. He let none of his words fall to the ground. The Lord fulfills what he proclaims through Samuel. And not only does the Lord fulfill his promises, but he promised to be with Samuel. We see here that God gives himself to his people to guide them. Here today, we not only have the Old Testament prophets witness to God's word, but by faith we are united to God's word in the flesh, Jesus Christ. In this season, after Epiphany, we continue to meditate on God's appearance to us and his presence with us today. For as the writer of Hebrews says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to us by, our, by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. As the book of 1 Samuel unfolds, we see that God appointed Samuel to be the future kingmaker of Israel. He helped usher in the monarchy in Israel and inaugurated Saul and David to their throne. But this chapter in God's story foreshadows the final prophet, the final priest, and the final king in Jesus, who is greater than the wayward priests that we see in Eli and his sons, and who not only speaks the word of the Lord like Samuel, but is himself the word incarnate. And in Jesus, we see the great and final king who is better than Saul or David could ever be, who will sit sinlessly on the throne eternally. The word was in the beginning and will be in the end. The gospel writer John writes, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And in the final book of Scripture, and at the last, we read that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. We're often tempted to make a name for ourselves and seek to establish a legacy that will not 
be soon forgotten. But the reality, the harsh reality, is that within just a few generations, nearly no one will remember you. Not even your name. But that is good news for us. Because that means that we can abandon our drive to build a name for ourselves. We can abandon all of our self-improvement projects that hold us in their grip. The perfect career, the perfect family, the perfect retirement account, the perfect paper, the perfect house, the perfect body. There's nothing wrong with stability and success. But when our desires become so disordered that we lose sight of God's word and its supremacy in our lives, we're seeking permanence in the wind. When we seek such permanence in ourselves, we will inevitably chase after lesser things. One commentator writes this. He says, if I insist that I am permanent, then I become nothing. But if I admit that God alone is permanent, then he breathes his permanence on me. Permanence only comes by union with Christ and clinging to his word. For it is this word that has the first and last word in our lives. This word that was at the beginning and will be at the end. Not our achievements, our failures, our successes, our regrets, our shortcomings, or our triumphs but his word. I often joke that the first year of my marriage was a year-long mixed martial arts cage match. Mandy and I were both, and we still are, um, very stubborn. We have, we're very, we have a high endurance for conflict. Typically, one of us has to pull a kill switch when it gets too late at night or we'll have no sleep. But one of my most dirty moves that first year in marriage was to always slip in a final last word. Just one more point. One last jab to win the argument. It took me years, far too long to realize that it's never about winning the argument. I think that would be the one piece of marriage advice I would give to young couples. It's never about the argument little irrational, but it's true. It's never about the argument. But God is not like us. And his last word does not put us to shame. It does not put us down. Instead, his last word is the cross of Christ in which he comes to us and brings us who were once far off near. God's final word to us is nothing less than the declaration of your forgiveness in Christ. So wherever you are this evening, God's final word for you is the blood of his cross. For the enduring word of God has come to us so that we may bind ourselves to him. Our lives are fragile and fleeting. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. In the end, God's love outruns us all. When we hit the wall, when the mounting desire to stop overwhelms our struggle to continue, we turn to Christ. And may us tonight, may we lay aside every weight and sing which clings so closely 
and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. Amen. Oh, I'm